Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gary Alton Church. And for those of you listening online, you are special because we've just added another microphone <laughs> to our presentation. So I'm, now I've got, I feel like R2-D2. I have two, lots of stuff. So if something shoots out like a hologram out of my ear or something, I'm, I want to apologize ahead of time. Okay, so... Um, We're talking about God giving us second chances. Last week we talked about how He is a God of a second chance. And today I want to talk about what do I do when God gives me a second chance. Like I say, the Bible is filled with people who got another chance from God. You know, Samson really messed his life up. He was a street tough. He was strong. But he was kind of, I don't know, he was strong this way, but not very strong between the ears. And he gets himself in all kinds of trouble. His eyes, he loses his eyesight. They gouge out his eyes, his enemies do. And you find out that he's an embarrassment in Philistia uh, for the Jewish people. And he asks God to remember him and give him strength one more time. And he delivers the nation of Israel because of that second chance. There's a story of um, of a of a fella. He's a young man, and um, he thinks he knows what he's doing. He thinks he's got it together, and he decides to pack up and leave home. Like most young people, he I, I think I can handle life on my own. He gets out by himself, and things go sideways in a hurry. He spends all of his inheritance. He has nothing, hardly anything left. He ends up being a servant for some pig farmer, and his food consists of eating out of the trough with the pigs. Talk about really just how things have gone south in a hurry for this fellow. And finally he comes to himself, the Bible says. He he sees himself, maybe in the reflection of the pig slop. He sees himself and sees his condition. He sees his hair all this way, grimy, eyes gaunt. And he goes, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my father. And the Bible says as he's practicing what he's going to say when he sees his dad, the dad sees him a long way off and starts running. And not even giving the son a chance to explain things gives him a second chance, welcomes him back to the family. And by the way, that story Jesus tells is a story of how God feels about people. I don't know if, if, if you know somebody, if maybe you need a second chance, or you know somebody that needs a second chance, it's so important they know that God will run to them and embrace them and wants to give them a second chance. That's what we've been looking at that uh, here in the last week. And, and today, I just thought, why not talk about what's my response when God gives me a second chance? I mean, think about this. Why would God give you and I a second chance? Let me give you four reasons why God gives us second chances and third chances and fourth chances. The reason He does at first is because He loves you and I. It's out of His great love. I mean, when you love somebody, you give them a second chance, right? And God's no different. He's no different. If you want to follow on your notes or up here on the screen, look at what the Bible says here in 1 Peter 1. Praise be. This is Peter, a man who got a second chance. Amen? And look what he says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth. That's a fresh start, folks. He's given us a do-over, a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How does he know? How does Peter know that God gives second chances and they're solid? Because Jesus come back from the dead. He could give that promise. If He promised to come back from the dead... And he does. And he says, I promise to give you a second chance. He will. He will. And here in 1 Corinthians 13, look what the Bible says about love in the ERV. It says, 
Love never gives up on people. And you've got a God that never gives up on you. Maybe you know somebody you've never given up on. Everybody else has, but for some reason, why, why, do you, why don't you give up on them? Because you love them. You love them. And God feels the same way about you and about anyone who needs a second chance. He doesn't give up. So that's the first reason. Second reason, why does God give second chances? Because God wants me to mature. He wants me to grow up. You see, God gives you and I second chances because we're immature. And we need a second chance. You don't get... Listen, there's no such thing as beginner's luck when it comes to becoming a Christian. Right? You know, you look at some people and go, man, look at them. They just seem to... They took like a fish to water. They seem to grow and don't have a care, don't have a problem in the world. First of all, you're not seeing it very accurately. That's not true. Nobody gets it right the first time or the second time. Sometimes it takes more. It takes another effort, another take at it, another stab at it. See, maturity is a series, listen, it's a series of failures and recoveries. It's a constant cycle of failures and recoveries. Because nobody can do this. Because it's a process. Look what the Bible says here in Proverbs 24. For the lovers of God, you love God? Look what the Bible says. The lovers of God may suffer adversity and stumble seven times, but they will continue to rise over and over again. Why? Because of their love for God, they know they get a second chance. And it gives them the power to get back up. Folks, listen. It's not the failure that's going to make a difference in your life unless you get back up. Then it will make a big difference in your life. Failure has a purpose if you'll get back up. So God wants to help me grow, and and we don't grow overnight. It's a series, it's a lifetime, it's a process of falling and getting back up. Number three, God gives us a second chance, gives you and I a second chance because God wants to use you. He wants to use you and I. Look at the Bible says here, Paul talks to Timothy, a young preacher. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the foremost sinner. However, I was treated with mercy. He says, I was the worst. I was the worst sinner. If you had a list on the top ten, I'm the number one. And I'm the number one sinner, and I've held that longer than anyone. And he says, but I was treated with mercy. Why? So that Christ Jesus could use me, the worst sinner, the foremost sinner, to demonstrate his patience. And this patience serves as an example of those who would believe in Him and live forever. Why does God give me a second chance? So I'll look good? No, so He'll look good. He gives you a second chance, gives me a second chance, so that people can know, other people can know, that they can have a second chance too. So He uses my failure, He uses your failures to display His favor. You and I are examples of that when we receive that second chance. Number four, why does God give second chances? So I'll give others a second chance. Over the years, I've learned something, and that is that, that I need to forgive people, and I need to give people second chances because God's been so good to me, and He's given me second chances over and over and over again. Look at the Bible says here, Jesus said these, these words, Show mercy and compassion for others, just as your heavenly Father overflows with mercy and compassion for all. Give others a second chance. They need it from you too. So how do I respond? How do you and I respond when God 
gives us another chance. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Well, let's go through these. Number one, I own my failure. If I want to do something with this second chance, I own what's on my end. I take responsibility for what I've done. I was with a group of guys this week, and we're just talking about relationships, just relationships. And the topic turned into a discussion about, well, I noticed this about this person and this about this person. They respond this way and they respond that way. And it occurred to me that, that so many times this is what happens to us. We're more concerned about how somebody else responds than how we should respond. And if we're going to have a list of people that we want to see respond properly, it's okay to be selfish on this list. It's okay. Because my response is the only one I can control. And it's the only response that matters. I don't know how you are. Maybe you're this way. Well, I'll respond this way in the hope that they'll respond that way. Well, there you go again. You're concerned about somebody else's response. And so you're trying to get them to own what they... And by the way, does that work sometimes? Absolutely it does. But that shouldn't be your concern. Like I said last week, when you see the list of all the fruit of the Spirit of the Holy Spirit, nowhere does it say others controlled, but self-control. And so, I, I don't know, it, to me, it's, it starts there. What do I do with this second chance? I need to own my end. Just own what I've done. Take responsibility for what I've done. Let me show you a passage here. Jesus taught this in Luke 18. There's a tax collector and a Pharisee, and they're both praying in the temple. And it's interesting, when you read this passage, they're both standing alone. I didn't notice that before. The Pharisee is by himself, standing alone, praying, Thank God I'm not like this guy. I give this much, I do this, I keep the law. And he's pointing to a tax collector. And the Bible says he's standing alone as well, at a distance. They're both standing. One Pharisee stands alone because he thinks he's all that in a bag of chips and he's he's aloof. And he separates himself from everybody. The other guy, he se- by the way, he separates himself because he's self-righteous. The tax collector is separating himself because of shame. And look what it says here. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And here's what Jesus says. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified. He went home right with God, as he's saying. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, one guy's taking responsibility, and one guy's taking credit. What do I do with the second chance that God gives me? I need to own up what I've done. I love Solomon says this, the son of David. He says, and we've seen this before, the man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, those are two different things. He admits them, and he actually does something about them. He gets another chance. And let's face it, folks, most of the time we want to pass the buck. We want to pass it. We have a hard time admitting our mistakes. We want to blame the economy, the government, the weather, luck, parents, our spouse. And this goes on and on and on. But God says, if you want to start over, start, start, start the year by just admitting your stuff. Don't worry about the other person. I've been trying to get my wife to admit her stuff for years. 
so much that I've ignored what I need to admit. Well, last night we're just talking, and I go, you know, Denise, and I just start saying, this is what I see in me. I tend to do this. She's not disagreeing. Amen. Preach it. Amen. You want a card to fill out, Tim? I mean, I mean, she's really putting it on me. No, she's just sitting there listening and nodding her head, going, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And I'm thinking, and it's your turn. I'm thinking, you know what? I need to just admit my end. Just admit my end of it. My uncle is a veteran. He was in the Navy. He served on the second largest aircraft carrier at, at its time. And uh, in the Navy, he had a great respect and admiration. He is, he's Catholic, and he has a, a deep admiration for John F. Kennedy. And I used to think it was because, well, John F. Kennedy was Catholic, and he's Catholic, and, you know, the Catholics stick together, that kind of thing. And he goes, let me tell you why I respect John F. Kennedy so much, Tim. He's the only president I've ever seen look straight into the camera to the American people and take responsibility for a mistake. And I remember the Bay of Pigs. Some of you probably in history class remember the United States was involved. He was involved in helping some Cubans overthrow Castro's government, and it failed on its face. And he said... It was me. It was on me, no one else. That's what I'm talking about. That's, that's an example. Wouldn't it be nice to have a president in the office that admits some mistakes? Amen. Nice to have some parents in the house that would admit some mistakes? A spouse? Just admit something? To hear you admit something? It's gold in a relationship. It creates a second chance atmosphere. And see, when I refuse, listen, when I, he says you're not successful. Let me tell you, when you refuse to admit a mistake, you've wasted it. You've wasted the mistake. In my case, I think about this, that because I won't admit a mistake, I am doomed to repeat the lesson again. And God's going to say, okay, Tim, since you didn't admit that, then we're going to put you in a situation where you're going to have to come to grips with it again and again. But see, I set, you set and I set ourselves up for a great learning opportunity, a great growing opportunity, when we'll simply say, I'm not going to deny it anymore. I'm just going to admit that. That's true about me. Look at this in Psalms 32. How happy you must be. You get a fresh start. David's saying this. Your slate, your slate's wiped clean. When I kept it all inside, my bones turned to powder. My words became daily groans. The pressure never let up. All the juices of my life dried up. Then I let it all out. I said, I'll make a clean breast of my failures to God. Suddenly, the pressure was gone. My guilt dissolved. My sins disappeared. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound so good? And that happens when... We just start to admit and own what we've done. David says it this way in Psalms 51. Probably one of the greatest confessions in the Bible. It's on the heels of his immorality of Bathsheba and covering up the death of Uriah, one of his closest friends. And he says, I know I have done wrong. I remember that sin all the time. I did what you said is wrong. You're the one I've sinned against. And it's in that prayer that he asks God to cleanse him and give him another chance. And God does. So first, I just need to own it. 
What do I need to own? Ask yourself that. What do I need to admit to my spouse, to my children, to my parents, to my friends? What do I just need to go, look, I need to get this out. By the way, you may think you're hiding it really well. You're not. We see it. Your wife sees it. Your husband sees it. Your kids see it. Your co-workers see it. And all it's doing is eating you up inside. So just start there. I own my failure. Number two, I stop regretting and start repenting. I stop beating myself up, in other words. I stop beating myself up by saying things like, well, I'm a failure, I'm a nothing. I stop saying, well, God can't use me. I guess it's over. Listen to me. Listen, you need to hear this. Somebody needs to hear this. It is not over. It can be a do-over. It really can be a do-over in your life. It can be a fresh start. Look at the Bible says here, 2 Corinthians 7, For the sadness that is used by God brings a change of heart. Tell me, does the Bible say sometimes I need to be sad? Absolutely. Sometimes you need to be sad over your sin. Sure. He says the sadness that is used by God brings a change of heart that leads to salvation. There is no regret in that. But sadness that is merely human causes death. The Bible talks about two kinds of sadness here. There's this sadness that's in the world and there's this sadness from the throne of God. And the worldly sadness, all it ends up doing to you and I is discouraging you and I, depressing you and I, and because it's all, it's all, you get caught up in this self-pity. We think we're going to feel better, but in the long run, we're not any better. Because we're just feeling something. And the world really promotes this. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but not change. And a lot of times we've bought into this. We buy into this lie. You see, nothing changes as long as I'm stuck in self-pity. Now, godly sorrow is different. Godly sadness, the kind he uses, is different because this sadness leads to a step. If you're bothered about something that you've done, by the way, it's interesting to me, a lot of times it's interesting to me, I find myself bothered with somebody else's sin and I'll take a step. But what about my own? Applying stuff to other people is wonderful if you're applying it to yourself, folks. But I, I'm learning this. I'm going, you know, what is the step I'm taking? Yes, I feel bad about that. Yes, I'm up front and I admit it. But what am I going to do with it? What am I going to do about it? David, again, in Psalms 51, as he confesses to God his sin, says, The sacrifice that God wants is a humble spirit. He wants me to go, Lord, I'm sorry. God, he says, you will not turn away someone who comes with a humble heart and, there it is, and is willing to obey you. He takes a step. What steps do you take when God gives you a second chance? It's not enough to just go, thank you for the second chance and go on your merry way. What step am I needing to take, Lord? What do you need me to obey to start changing? Because if, if I'm not led to change from the sadness I have over my sin, then I only have worldly sadness. And by the way, church, that leads to nothing but death. Number three, I forget the former and focus on the future. What do I do with this second chance? I forget the past and I focus on the future. This is very difficult. I think this is one of the hardest things we do as Christians. 
Because our society likes to bring up the past. We like to bring up the past. And if we're not good at it, somebody else will bring it up. Bring up these past things. These skeletons in the closet. Look at the Bible says in Isaiah 43, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. You know, Jesus one time said, If you set your hand to the plow and you look back, you're useless. It's useless. He warns us of this. You see, one of the biggest obstacles that gets in the way of me looking ahead is I'm too busy looking back. I'm focused back rather than focused forward. My wife reminded me, she said, you know, Tim, by the way, the theme for this year, uh, what's the theme for this year? The theme we've chosen is open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Ephesians 1.18, Psalms 119, verse 18. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Oh, I think we sing that song, I want to see you. Uh, Psalm says, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see the wonderful things in your word. Uh, Ephesians 1 says, uh, the idea of may the eyes of your heart be enlightened, be flooded with light. So you can see and recognize the hope that's ahead. And we're going to spend the whole year looking at just what... God, open our eyes to all kinds of things. Next week, we're starting a series of lessons called The Eyes of Faith. And what is faith? It's looking at life through God's perspective. That's really what faith is. And we're going to be spending several weeks looking at this. But my wife said, hey, I got... What about 2020 hindsight? I go, huh? Every once in a while she tries to give me an idea. She goes, well, isn't that a phrase? Yeah. You know what that means? I think I do. She goes, I tell you what, Tim, when I hear that, I think about how clear I see people, they see the past. And then it dawned on me, maybe the reason I have such a hard time seeing into the future is because I can really see the past. I want 2020 eyesight with the future. How about you? I mean, I see clearly all the mess-ups, foul-ups, goof-ups, you know, whatever, the messes I've done, I've created, the people I've hurt, the things I've said, the things I've done. I can name them off and people... You Somebody said, do you remember? Yeah. Why'd you bring it up? We have no trouble seeing the past. We have trouble seeing the future. That's a faith thing, see? And maybe because our eyes are trained to look back instead of forward. What do I do with this second chance? I just need to quit dwelling so much on what God has forgiven and focus on what does He want me to do now? We say things like this, I wish I'd never done that or I wish that was behind me. The problem is, when it does finally get behind me, I keep looking at it. I keep bringing it up. I keep bringing it up in my head. And see, it's these, these memories. Think about this. I'm talking just for me. Okay, maybe it's just for me. My memories sometimes manipulate me. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? They manipulate me. They tell me I can't get that done. I can't do that. That's impossible. They mess with me. They control me. They've got a hold on me. And I've learned something. Is it possible that the reason... These memories have such a hold on you and I is because we hold on to them too. We hold on to the past. Listen to me this morning. I got some good news. The past doesn't have to control you anymore. I have to hear that. I got to hear that. What's that again, Lord? 
Tim, the past does not have to control you anymore. (laughs) I want to believe that. See the doubt already? I want to believe that. Look at this passage in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. They're not the old person. New person. The past is forgotten. What? The past is forgotten. By who? Because that sure ain't me. So my friends, don't forget. past is forgotten. It says with such confidence. I even highlighted it in my Bible. The past is forgotten. And everything is new. What's that mean? New start? Fresh? Yeah. Let me ask you something. Do you hold on to the past longer than God does? I do. I hold on to the past a lot longer than God does. How about you? And maybe that's why it's got such a hold and a grip on us as a church. As Christians, I don't try things. I don't do things to stretch. Why? Because the past is telling me I can't do it. Future says I can, but I'm not looking that direction. My ears are turned the opposite. I can't hear that. I'm too busy YouTubing my failure. How many views? Too many! <laughs> you see, God's forgotten it. And if God has forgotten it, shouldn't I? If He's not going to bring it up again, love keeps no records of wrongs. If He's not going to bring it up again, who's bringing it up? And by the way, before you point at somebody and say, well, they bring it up and they bring it up, you got three fingers point back at you folks saying, you too, you bring it up the most. I bring it up the most. And if sometimes if people have forgotten, I'll help them. Remember. I can't do that. Don't you remember the time I... God's forgotten it. The Apostle Paul, when you look at him, he had lots of reasons to dwell on his past. Here's a guy who thought he was really the guy and finds out he is a dud. He finds out he's actually fighting the Lord. And for three days he's blind and he sees all this for three days. He sees all these mistakes. His memory, his past, he can see and replay in color what happened with Stephen and how he got him and threw the first stone. He sees the rock hit Stephen. He hears the thud. And he's like, what have I done? For three days, he's replaying all of his mistakes. I'm certain of it. It's almost like God is saying, and listen, maybe he's saying something like this, Paul, take a good long look at your past because you're not going to have to worry about it anymore. Think about it. Okay, you got it? Okay. And here comes Ananias. Paul, yeah, God wants to use you. What? I've had three days of, I don't know about you, but three pretty depressing days. You know, Denise and I decided to go... On Christmas Day, we're going to go watch a Christmas movie. What do we want to watch? There's so much to choose. We watched a very upbeat movie called Richard Jewell. We get out of the car and I want to drive into a bridge abutment. I'm like, man, Paul has been pre-playing his movie, his home film, his own video, his own everything. And he's going, huh. And God says through Ananias, God is going to use you 
to preach and to teach to kings. He's going to use you to reach the Gentiles and get them out of darkness. They're blind. And it says, the Bible says, something like scales fell from Paul's eyes. His eyes were opened? Yeah. His eyes are opened. And what's said? Now get up and get baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. And he does that. And we see the Apostle Paul do a complete turnaround. So God is saying, look, here's your past. Now turn around. Turn to me. By the way, is God in the past? Don't make too much into what I'm about to say. But God is more in your future than in your past. He's been there, done that, took care of that. He's focused on what's ahead of you now. He's saying, come on, let's go this way. Never again is Paul's past brought up by the Lord. He's saying, let's look at the future. Follow me. Let's go this way. And what do we see Paul do? He does some amazing things with that second chance. There is an amazing, wonderful experience waiting for you when you turn from the past and start focusing on the Lord ahead. Look what Paul says in Philippians here. He says he forgot the past. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Here's the thing I do. The thing. What's the thing, Paul? Well, forgetting what's behind. Wait a minute. Are you, are you capable of doing that? Yes, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God called me heavenward. Now, He didn't call me backward. He called me forward, heavenward. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. You need to get your head out of your past. I got close, didn't I? Get your focus off that past. You're just dwelling on it way too much. It's ruining now and nothing's going to happen till you turn from that. And when you turn to the Lord, that's what you do. You're turning from the past to win this prize, which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So I forget the former. I focus on the future. And last, what do I do with this second chance? I trust God to work it all out. This is a faith thing. I trust the Lord to work it out. Jesus said this on the heels of Peter saying, I'll never deny you. And he says, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows, before morning. And they're all bothered. They're looking at each other all bothered. He says, don't let yourselves be disturbed. Here's the answer for what's going to happen in the future. Peter, you're going to deny me, but here's what you do. You trust in God, trust in me. Can I love God and not do things well? We talked about that last week, remember? I love music, but there's some things you don't want me to do. And I love Jesus, but there's some things I have a difficult time doing. But it doesn't mean I don't love Jesus. It just means I suck at that. And I've got to learn. I've got to figure out, how do I work on this? And it starts with distrusting the Lord. I mean, I look at my mistakes. I'm sure you look at some of the stuff you've done and you're disturbed. That's a, that's a light way to say, I'm disturbed. I don't think I ever say, I'm disturbed. I'm discouraged. I, I sometimes get depressed. 
I want to quit. Because I think to myself, how could God do anything good from that? I've really messed it up. God can turn anything, all things, for good if I'll trust Him. The Bible promises this. Here's a passage we, some of you got it, got it plastered somewhere in your house or in your car. We know, and we know, and I, I want to say, and, and we, I doubt. It says, we know. I want to be able to say, I know. I want us to be able to say, we know, as a church, not we doubt. That we know that those who love God, you love God, you trust God. Is that a theological reach? I don't think it is. If I love God, I trust Him. I trust those I love. And if I love God, it says, there's the promise. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. He'll work it out. 